So if uh, Brennan could shut those doors real fast and lock them, <laughs> no one will get away. Yes, today is Stewardship Sunday. It's tithing, but I think we're going to look at some things that will be um, a little more interesting than uh, just give us your money. So there was a story, uh, a man named Leighton Farrell, he was a minister at Highland Park Church in Dallas uh, for many years, and he, he tells of a person who went to his church, and he had made a covenant with the former pastor of that church. They were both young, neither of them had much money, so they made a covenant that they were going to give 10% of everything they made uh, to the church and tithe. So this man, uh, the first year, he tithed $1,000 because he made $10,000 that year. The next year, he tithed $10,000 because he had earned $100,000. But the third year, he made a million dollars, and he was really struggling with writing that check for $100,000. So he phoned that minister who had been there years ago and said, I need to meet with you. So the, the pastor says, okay, and invites him to come over. And he goes over to his new church and uh, walks into his office, and he says, you have to let me out of this covenant. He said, I, I, can't, I can't write a check for $100,000. I just can't do this. This is crazy. You, you've got to let me out of this covenant. So the pastor knelt on the floor, and he began to pray for a long time. And he's praying, and he's praying, and Finally, the man says, are you praying that God will let me out of this covenant? And the pastor looks at him and says, no. I'm praying that your income will go back to where you only need to give $1,000 for the year. <laughs> Dan and Melody's children, who just uh, shared in our video today, uh, the Overin boys, uh, that's uh, Lucas and Levi and Lucas. And First of all, they are great speakers. They did a really good job of sharing but they have been faithful to tithing on what they get from 4-H. They raise animals, they sell them, and then they've been tithing on what they've made for that. And they're young, it's easy for them, right? They don't have bills and things. So this becomes a struggle for many of us, that idea of tithing 10%. So we're going to read a passage today in Malachi. It's Malachi 3. We're going to read verses uh, 7 through 12. Actually, I'm fibbing. We're going to read uh, 6 through 12. No, we'll do seven. What the heck? So by the time I decide what we're reading, you'll all be to the page that you need to be. So I'm just kind of buying time to give you extra time to open up your Bible. You're welcome. So <laughs> ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me, God says. You ask me, how do we rob you? You rob me in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing 
that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. My friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, again, we thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Father God, I pray that you would give me the words to speak, that they would not be my words, but yours. And more importantly, I pray that if my words are wrong, that, they, that nobody here would hear them, but they would hear your voice. That each person would be touched by you today through some part of this service, and that you would speak to each one of us wherever we are at, Father that we would not be glorified, but that you would be glorified. Because we know that any change that happens in us, anything that we get, that we receive, we receive it from you, Lord. So that your name be praised in this service today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going to begin by looking at what is going on in Israel at the time of Malachi. Because I'm not, we're not just going to jump into, you need to give money, right? That wasn't the issue in Israel at the time. So what was the, is, the issue? The Israelites had returned back to Israel after having been captives in Babylon, in Babylon for about 100 years. The temple had been rebuilt. Um, we see that in Ezra and Nehemiah. But things were not going well for the people of Israel. Now, when the people left their Babylonian captivity, when they went back to their homes, they thought, when we get there, we're going to rebuild the temple and we'll rebuild our lives and everything will be good again. We all often think that, don't we? Man, if I can just get over this next thing, everything's going to be good. Or if I can just have it this way, everything's going to be good. But they were finding out that it wasn't Good. They were waiting for the great promises of the prophets to come true. And that wasn't happening. They were waiting for that Messiah to come to set up the new kingdom over a unified Israel. But none of this happened. You see, the Israelites who repopulated the city of Jerusalem were just as unfaithful to God as their ancestors were. And this resulted in poverty and injustice in their land. That's why God tells them in verse 9, you are under a curse. This is the way you're living your life. We have an agreement. You live your life according to these precepts and you will be blessed. When you don't, when you're unfaithful to me, you will be living under a curse. They were living under that curse still. So in Malachi, we find out just how far astray these Israelites had gone. As you read through the entire book of Malachi, you'll find out that there's six disputes that are going on. These are things where God says this, or the people say this, and then there's a response. So there's a dispute between God and his people. The first dispute is God says that he still loves his people. Things aren't going well, and they are unfaithful, but God is still faithful to them. He still loves them. But the people say to him, well, how have you shown us this love? 
But God reminds them that they are still his chosen people. The second dispute, God accuses the people of despising him and defiling the temple. And his people fire back at him, how have we despised you? And God responds by focusing on the people, how they were bringing shameful, uh, lame offerings of sick, blemished animals. So when you brought a sacrifice to the temple, you were supposed to bring the best of your flock. They were bringing the lame animals, the sick animals. They were bringing the mangiest animals. They were giving their leftovers to God as opposed to giving to God their first fruit. And God points this out to them. From top to bottom, God's people had proven to be faithless. The third dispute, God accuses the Israelite men of treachery against him and their wives. And of course, the people deny this. But God points out the toxic combination of idolatry and divorce that was taking place. The Israelites were leaving the wives of their youth and they were marrying foreign wives and they were beginning to worship their gods, setting up idols again, just as we had seen in Israel over and over and over again before the captivity. The fourth dispute, the Israelites now accuse God of neglect saying, where is the justice that you have promised us? Because they look around and they see injustice and corruption abounding, and God seems to be doing nothing. Does this sound familiar for us today? It's easy to look around and get discouraged because it seems like God's not there. Over and over and over we see injustice, we see evil things happening. But God reminds them or responds to them by saying that he is going to send a messenger who will prepare the people for God's personal return in the day of the Lord. He is sending them the Messiah. So again, he reiterates the promise saying the time is coming when the Messiah will be here. The fifth dispute, God calls the people to turn back to him. And this is the one that we are talking about today. He says, turn back to me and I will turn back to you. And the people say, how can we turn back? God doesn't confront all the other sins that are going on there. God chooses one. He focuses on their selfishness. Everything was about them. And when everything's about us, well, money is one of those things that we withhold from God as well. So he shows them how they have stopped offering the tithe of their income to the temple. Now the word tithe, if you're you're new here, you're new to this, just simply means one-tenth. The Israelite people were called to give one-tenth of their income to, to the temple. Now there were other things you were supposed to give. So God talks often, we hear about tithes and offering. Tithe is that 10% that we are called to give back to God. The offering is that extra that we give when we support um, Royal Family Kids Camp or Arise or whatever other things we support. And the boys mentioned several things that they support that those would be those offerings. 
the Israelites in total would give about 33% of their income to God is what they were called to give. And if you owned land, not only did you give that back to God, but you weren't allowed to um, take the food off your entire field. They weren't allowed to uh, harvest all the way to the ends. They had to leave some for the poor around the edges so the poor could come and have some grain or whatever it is they were growing. So the Israelites gave more, far more than 10% when they were following God's commands. So we're gonna touch on back on this a little bit in a little bit, but the sixth dispute is that the people now accuse God and say that it is pointless to serve him. Because again, they bring up how they are observing wicked people who are succeeding in life and God is doing nothing. And God's response this time is not per se a response, but it's a speech or it's a short story. And he talks about the faithful remnant that will continue to be in Israel that even when things are getting bad, even when God's people are turning away from him, there will always remain a remnant of faithful believers. So the problem in Israel was not that God didn't have enough money. It's not that God needed their money. And understand this, God doesn't need your money. God, as uh, Psalms 50 says, and as Charlie, I think this is Charlie's favorite passage, often says, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So whenever on staff, when Charlie uh, was on staff with us and uh, we needed to figure out how are we paying for this, God, sorry, Charlie would be like, no worries, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's like, you're welcome to go pick up those cattle so we can pay this, but... but God doesn't need us. And in Psalm 50, verse 12, God even says, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you because the world is mine and all that is in it. God doesn't need your money. So we don't give because God needs us to give. We give because God allows us to give back to him in praise. You see, the issue here in Israel wasn't a money issue at all, which is why we talked about all six disputes. It wasn't a money issue. It was a heart issue. It was a heart issue. See, the issue with money is simply an overflow of where their hearts were at. When a person is filled with God, filled with the Holy Spirit, there is an overflow that comes out of that person where people around them experience God when they are with them. There's an overflow that suddenly we want to do things to serve our Savior, to serve God who has done so much for us. We want to give back to him. But when our heart isn't in a good place, the overflow of that is selfishness, it's greed, it's lust, it's all these things that become an overflow of our hard issue. And that is what was going on in Israel. You see, we talked about this a few weeks ago, and I want to point it out again. We are saved by faith. We are saved by faith, just faith. But when we have faith, there are things that will naturally follow that. 
Repentance follows faith. Obedience follows faith. Love follows faith. Giving follows faith. God's people at this time were faithless. And that's why the money issue was an issue, because they were faithless. And we see this not just in the fact that they weren't tithing, but again, we'll go back to the second dispute. They were giving God their junk. My daughter got a devotional book for Christmas, and she had the same devotional book from last Christmas. So last Christmas devotional book was paperback, and it was pretty mangled um, from reading it. So she got this new one. So she goes, I have two. I'm going to give one of these to my friends. I'm like, well, great. Which one are you giving? Suspecting the answer. And the answer was the old mangled one. I said, well, you can still read the old mangled one. Why not give your friend the best? You don't need two of the books. But so often, that's what we do, right? We get something new, so we'll give our garbage to everybody else. But are we giving from our first fruits? Are we giving our best to God? There was a recent statement that I heard from a pastor that kind of uh, hurt my heart a little bit. And this pastor was talking about how some pastors, they don't even make enough to tithe. This is not the case with us. You are very grateful. You are very wonderful with us, so this is <laughs> not about uh, what I make or anything. But this person says, some pastors don't make enough to tithe, and all I could think is, what do you mean they don't make enough to tithe? When we write that check, the first check we write should be that tithe back to God, that 10% back to God. I, I love writing checks still. I'm sad that all my other bills are paid online because it used to be I could sit down and I'd write all my checks out and the first one I would write would be the tithe check and Jessica and I would pray over that check and it was almost a a sacred moment. Not almost, it was a sacred moment of getting to fill that check out for God. When he is getting the first fruits, what suffers is not, what we hold back is not what we're going to give to God, but it may be the other stuff. Maybe I don't get a latte every day this week from Starbucks. Maybe I don't get that new Xbox that I would like to have. Maybe I have to rearrange my finances to cover everything else. But God is going to get my first fruits. And I know that some of you are thinking, but you don't know my situation. You don't know how hard it is. But the truth is, I've been there. I have been where any one of you are at. If you are struggling financially, I have been there. I don't tell people this often because it's kind of embarrassing. But years ago, I had my my, uh, gas shut off for a month because I was behind on the gas bill. So it was cold showers for a month. Thank God it was summer. (laughs) It would have been really hard in January. Well, it was hard enough in summer. But I get where you're at. But when we give our first fruits to God, it helps us to reprioritize our lives and get everything where it should be. And I do believe that God blesses us 
during those times. And I know that God has provided for Jessica and I as we have been tithing to him faithfully. When we first got married, we weren't sure where we were going to live, and it's just my income, and my income at that time wasn't that much because I was in a different position here. And I was so blessed because uh, Adam and Danelle Pad heard that we were looking for a place to live, and uh, they were making a little apartment above their barn. God was faithful and provided that. And it was even done by the time we got back from our honeymoon. So <laughs> I was a little nervous for a couple of days. Um, and now, as Adam reminds me all the time, I can tell everyone my daughter was raised in a barn. So <laughs> when, uh, as we remained faithful in tithing and we had our second son, and as much as we loved the apartment with the pads for many reasons, um, we knew we were going to need a bigger place. And all of a sudden, somebody else from church came up to us and said, hey, I heard you're looking for a, a, new, a new place to live. And they had a little cottage that this one, we had, we had been upgraded from former barn to former garage. So uh, <laughs> it was an old stone garage, and they had added a top to it, and they made the front look really pretty, so it was like a, a cottage. Um, but it was probably about the size of this stage, um, two floors. The bottom floor was a little bigger. And... Uh, that's where we lived, and we had Josiah, and there was four of us, five of us. We all, four of us shared the one bedroom upstairs. God blessed us. God didn't bless us with a big house where everybody had their own room, but God gave us a peace in that house, and we loved being there. We loved being above the barn. We loved being in this tiny house where we were crammed together. You see, that's the promise that God makes to us. He doesn't say that he's going to give us all of our wants, but our needs will be met. And on top of that, God changed our hearts and put us in a place to where we were just thankful for what he had given us. God has made a promise to his people. God has made a promise to you. Test him. Let your tithe be from your first fruits, the first check that you write. If you do your stuff online, maybe it's the first thing you go online and say, this is what I'm going to do first. And see if he doesn't keep his promise. So let's go a little deeper into what God's promise is. And we're going to begin by talking about why we give. You see, we, we give to receive these promises, this promise from God, but there's those who would say that, well, we no longer need to give. So there's those who would argue whether or not we still need to do tithe like the Old Testament says, or if we're free from that and can just give anything. I would argue that we have a financial obligation to our church. Moses took up an offering commanded by God for the building of the tabernacle in Exodus 25. In the New Testament, Jesus reaffirms the importance of giving to the church when he criticizes the Pharisees because they take 10% of even their spices, they're counting out their seeds and giving God exactly 10% of those seeds. And yet they were ignoring uh, justice and... Um, mercy and faithfulness. God says you should practice the latter without neglecting the former. God doesn't say stop tithing and do this. God says do them both. 
because it's still, it was a heart condition for the Pharisees. And Paul reaffirms the right um, for him to make a living from his preaching, from being a pastor, that the churches should have been tithing, they should have been supporting uh, their, their, uh, their pastors and their churches. And in the early church in Acts, we see radical giving. As the early Christians didn't give 10%, they gave it all. And then they lived together in one community. But the thing is, doing this is more than simple obedience. Because again, God doesn't need your money. So we shouldn't give out of compulsion to give. We should give out of a desire to give back to the one who gave us everything. We ought to be giving out of a love and a desire for God. And to be honest, if you cannot give with a cheerful heart, then don't give. Don't give. I would rather you walk out of here without putting any money in the offering baskets, but walk out of here at least right with God than to give under some false compulsion or guilt and to walk out of here grumbling about God and his church. So if you cannot give with a cheerful heart, that's okay. Don't give. That's why I love that the baskets are in the back. Now, I know this was a COVID thing, but I like that there is no tray going down and I have to put something in there just so people know that I gave. You can just discreetly go and give. And God has been faithful and has blessed this church. And I believe he will continue to be faithful and he will continue to bless this church. So do not give out of compulsion. Paul tells us that in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. And on either side of that verse, um, Paul shares a promise. I'm going to read it to you real quick. Paul in 2 Corinthians 9, and this is going to be 6, six through 8. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Give out of a cheerful heart because you're giving back to the one who gave all for you. Here's the part of this service this morning that I like the most, though. Over and over and over again, we talk about the means of grace. You know I'm a big Richard Foster fan. I talk about the spiritual disciplines and how these things draw us closer to God. <clears throat> Richard Foster wrote a, an article called The Grace of Giving, saying that our giving is another means of grace. It's another thing that draws us closer to him. And Foster says the grace of giving is often a tremendous stimulant to the life of faith. This is why the offering is correctly placed as a part of the worship experience. Why does the offering occur during our service when we're focused on God? Because it's one more way 
that we can intentionally give to him and draw near to him through this practice. Because giving isn't something we do just to keep the lights on here in this church or even to keep the programs running. We don't give so that we can continue to have youth and children's and all these other ministries. We give because it changes our mindset. It's a giving of ourself. Now, some of you may still be thinking that, great, what I'm hearing is if I give, God's going to bless me and give back. And I hope you haven't heard that because I've clearly tried not to say that today in, in any way, shape, or form. But remember that money <clears throat> is not always a blessing that we should be seeking anyways. How many rich, famous people have committed suicide, have become addicts, are depressed? Money is not the answer to our issues. Freedom from money is the answer to our issues. Finding our life in Christ, freed of all the things of this world, that is the answer to all of our issues. Dr. Carl Menninger once asked a wealthy patient, he said, what on earth are you going to do with all that money? The patient says, I, I don't know. I guess I'm just going to sit and keep worrying about it. Because once you have it, you don't want to lose it, right? So you've got to continue to invest, continue to get more. And Dr. Menninger says, do you get that much pleasure out of worrying about your money? And the patient said, no, but it terrifies me when I think about giving it away. When Richard Foster writes about his uh, spiritual disciplines, he says that each one of them frees us from something. Giving, he says, frees us from the tyranny of money or even of material things. How many of us are so desperate to hold on to the stuff we have that it keeps us from giving all of ourselves to God. My friends, test God and see if he doesn't pour out his blessing on you. I wanted to take a moment because Malachi talks about how God said he had that faithful remnant. And I know we're a little short on time. But as Malachi is talking about that faithful remnant of God, the thing that God points out about that remnant is that they are talking about God and they are encouraging one another and lifting one another up. And if anybody would like to share a testimony on how God has blessed you and provided for you as you have been faithful to give to him, I would love to give you a minute to share that the rest of the body may be encouraged by your testimony. Kurt, do you want to come up here? And, or... I've been wanting to share a stage with Kurt for, man, minutes now. <laughs>
my parents are passed away, um, but uh, my mom, she went through a long time and she was in the uh, Greenhurst nursing home. Uh, they took great care of her. Um, she was slowly melting away and um, we had a part where she was in dementia so bad that me and my brother were at the church or at the nursing home and uh, she didn't know who we were. Uh, it was a very crazy occasion and um, we got to a point where my brothers and I had to go and uh, we had to figure out whether we had to unplug or do whatever to let mom go and um, never something you want to deal with never and uh, we had decided and we went into Sarah last respects to our mom and um, yeah as we did it I lost it I would have my time alone with her and I dropped on my knees and I prayed to God please don't take my mom away I'm not ready I'm older but I'm not ready to lose my mom and uh, I mean I hardcore prayed and um, yeah about five minutes later we walked out of the room my mom woke up completely just perfect had all her faculties completely together I don't even know how it happened but only by the grace of God Amen, Amen. Praise God <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Okay, do we have anyone else who would like to share? For we can do one more if somebody wants. Yeah, Tom. Ah, you. Yeah, we like to hear you though. Um, many of you know uh, my wife and I have been here for about 13 years now. Actually, this weekend marks 13 years. And uh, before we came here, uh, Kat and I attended a Crown Financial course that was given here. And uh, interestingly, if you've ever been through the Crown course, about the last three minutes of the course is about the tithe. And in the time it took us to get into our car after leaving and drive home, which is about 400 yards that way, <laughs> we tur I turned off the key in the car and we got in the driveway and neither one of us moved and said we had never been tithers before we had, you know I think we had probably given like most people you know toss a few bucks in depending on how much you happen to have in your pocket and uh, it really came to a place where we just sat there and we looked at each other and said this is required. This is how we honor our God. And we've tied ever since, and God has blessed us richly. Amen. Thank you. I mentioned that uh, tithing and giving, it's, it's a sacred time. It can be a sacred time if we make sure that during that time we align our heart with God. My favorite thing about writing that check, like I said, is praying with Jessica over that check. She's sick today, but we still stopped and we prayed over our tithe check. God is so good. Test him and see if he doesn't pour open the floodgates for you. During this time, we're going to do communion. Another time that we get to come before God and uh, have that sacred time with him, sense his presence, be in his presence.
and that's why I moved the offering baskets up here. It's not so that I can spy and see who's putting in one. Um, <laughs> I, I just don't have the time for that. <laughs> but it's so that our giving can be a part of that sacrifice, a part of this sacred time with Jesus. So I encourage you, if you haven't already uh, put your offering somewhere else, um, that this would be a time as you do communion that uh, you could put your offering in the basket if you want. During this time of uh, communion, I ask you to reflect. Reflect on any areas of your life that maybe you have gone astray to where maybe there's a heart issue that's leading to some other issues. Now is the time that we get to listen for God to reveal those things to us, that we can ask for forgiveness for those things. So I'm going to pray uh, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. I'm going to give you a moment to reflect, to listen for the voice of God. Ask God to speak to you if you've never heard him speak. Ask him to speak to you today during that time. And then I'll go into prayer with Psalm 51. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray with the psalmist. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in us and lead us in the path everlasting. Have mercy on us, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out, our, blot out our transgressions, wash away all of our iniquities, and cleanse us from our sins. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, here